This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I'm going to begin reading this morning in John chapter 6, beginning in verse number 53. I'm going to read through verse 63. Look with me, if you will, in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Now, who is the Son of Man? That was Jesus. He is getting ready to say something that is going to blow their minds. Look at this. I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they our life. This is a very strange and a peculiar scripture to read. Now I want you to understand that. There are many times in the Bible when you open up the Word of God and you read a passage of scripture, I wonder how many times after reading it at first glance, do you say, what does that mean? Maybe you read the Word of God and you say, how am I supposed to understand this? Well, thank God that he does give you a pastor, a preacher to help you along the way. There are commentaries and different means and measures that you can study on your own. But no doubt, when you pick up the Word of God and you read it, randomly at times, there are several places of Scripture that you open up the Bible and you read and you say, I have no idea what this means. This is a very hard passage to digest. And at first glance, perhaps it's very, very difficult to understand it. I'm going to explain this to you in just a minute, what it all means. And I pray that the message this morning will help meet 
the many needs that you have in your heart and in your life. One of the greatest old hymns ever written about the blood was the final congregational song that Brother Drew led us in just a few moments ago, There's Power in the Blood. I like that part that says, Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. What does that mean? Free from the burden of sin. Sometimes, you know, I've made mention and reference to this a lot. That when we stand and we sing songs, old hymns of the faith, sometimes I think those words just simply become lyrics and melodies rather than us looking for the message in the song. Would you be free from your burden of sin? That means as God has arranged it for us to be free from the burden of sin, there has to be power, there has to be victory in the blood of Christ. Now, I will tell you this. Outside of the Holy Trinity, the most powerful thing that you and I have access to is the blood of Jesus. I want you to think about that. But in all honesty, how many of you this morning... I wonder how many in our community, I wonder really how many in the body of Christ, how many born-again believers are really walking and living in and basking in that real Hosanna victory. Would you be free from the burden of sin? I wonder how many of us are really living free from the burden of sin. I mean, where we have actually made the devil our footstool. When God led the children of Israel out of Egypt into Canaan, that was his design plan for them, that they would experience and enjoy victorious living. And I will tell you this, that is exactly what God wants for us today, victorious living. There might be somebody that would say this morning, well, pastor, I wish I was living that victorious life that you're talking about. But it seems most of the time in my personal life, I'm wandering in the wilderness. I, I know I'm not where I need to be. I know I'm not doing everything God would have me to do. But it's just hard, preacher, to get motivated, to get my focus on the right things. To be honest with you, pastor, the more and more I think about it, I feel like a prisoner. That's someone who has chains of bondage and shackles upon them rather than someone that's been set free. And it's even difficult where I work. It's difficult where I live, pastor, but it's almost difficult when I come to church. It seems like that when I come to church, my life is so oppressed in so many different ways that it's almost like that I'm having to force a smiley face on when I come in to see the brethren. Pastor, sometimes I feel that I'm just going through the motions. I'm just routinely doing the right things, the Christian things. But to be honest with you, preacher, I don't really have that real victory that you speak of that comes from the power and the blood. I just don't have it. Well, let me ask you this question. If that's you and you feel like that the majority of the time, my question is, do you feel that way? Is it because that the blood of Jesus does not have 
the wonder-working power that the Bible claims that it has. Do you feel those ways? Is it because when you got saved, you got a watered-down version of the blood? Is it because when you got saved, you got second-hand grace? I mean, why is it that you feel that way? Listen very carefully. Jesus came to give us life, and he said he came to give it more abundantly. That's what the blood of Jesus is specifically designed to do, to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. Now, you may know that, and you may believe that. And you might be saying this morning, Pastor, I really believe that. I really believe that the blood of Jesus is designed to do that. But the truth of the matter is this. I am saved, and I know that I'm saved, but there is something significantly missing in my life. Well, let me ask you this. First of all, when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for every single person. That's what John 3.16 talks about. For God so loved the world. He loved the world when the world didn't love him. God so loved the world. Now let me ask you, do you know anything about the steadfastness of the blood? You say, Pastor, I understand the, the shed blood, but are you saying that there are different bloods? There are two different bloods. I'm not saying that at all. But here's what I'm suggesting to you this morning. Here's what I'm declaring unto you is that there is various aspects of the blood of Jesus. And sometimes I feel that the body of Christ really doesn't know what the package contains. When we got saved, we got a package deal from the Lord Jesus Christ. We got so many wonderful benefits. The shed blood of Jesus is all-inclusive, and I want to mention this very briefly because I've got so many scriptures I need to give you today. Every Christian needs to understand that the blood of Jesus, it's wonder-working, first of all, because it's sacred blood. I want you to think about that. The reason it's sacred is because Jesus was virgin born. And the virgin birth was absolutely necessary for Jesus to be who he was. He is, he was the only begotten son of God. We need to understand this. So the blood that flowed through the veins of Jesus was sacred because it was God the Father's own blood. I want you to look at a scripture in Acts 20, verse number 28. And they're getting these scriptures on the screen as quick as possible this morning. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. The Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased, notice this carefully, with his own blood. So first of all, the blood of Jesus is sacred blood. But also the blood of Jesus is saving blood. You see, if the blood was not sacred, it could not save. That's imperative. Man needed to be saved because of sin, not salvaged. He needed to be saved. I was in a Bible conference several years ago, and I heard one of the keynote speakers get up and he said, listen, 
We as pastors need to stop telling the church, we need to stop telling the people that they need to be saved. He said, when you tell people that they need to be saved, he said, you're reminding them that they're sinners. And I'm sitting there, what are you talking about? And he said, we need to stop telling them that they need to be saved. I closed my Bible. I put my pen in my pocket. He said, this is what we need to tell them. They need to be salvaged. There's a big difference, friend, in being salvaged and saved. And I'm telling you, the message to the world today is, listen, we don't need to be salvaged. We need to be saved, born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb. The, the shed blood is, is sacred because it, it's needed to tell men and women about their need of the Savior. If God, listen, the blood had to pay. It had to atone for our sin. If God did not punish sin, then God himself would have fallen from the throne of his holiness and God himself would have become a sinner. He had to deal with it. So God had to pay for sin with a sinless sacrifice and that was his only begotten son. I like that old hymn of the faith that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lead on Jesus' name. Think about that. So the blood of Jesus is sacred blood. It's saving blood. And here's something that I think very few of us know about the blood of Jesus. Here will help. This is what will help you a lot this morning. It's not only sacred blood. It's not only the shed blood, but the blood of Jesus is also the steadfast blood. Now, I'm going to explain that to you this morning. Listen very carefully. Many people, I think, God's people fail to understand the aspect of God's blood being steadfast. And this is why so many Christians are not living victorious lives. The sacred blood was not only powerful in heaven. The shed blood was not only powerful on the cross. But the sacred and shed blood is just as needful and steady and steadfast for you and I living in this world today. When Jesus spoke these words in the text that we're reading this morning, it was a hard thing for these people to hear. It was a hard thing for them to accept. And the Bible says that many of them turned from Jesus, turned from the Lord, and walked away from him. You see, they were not listening with their spiritual ears. And when they got mad at what he was saying, they only started to listen to what they wanted to hear. And they took the text completely out of context. Look at John 6, 66, if you will. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know, we have a tendency to do that when we get mad. We have a tendency just to hear what we want to hear. And just walk away, and we're not really willing to listen to the whole truth. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. People got mad at him, and they were only wanting then to hear what they wanted to hear, didn't want to hear the whole account. They got mad, and according to the word of God, they turned around and walked away. And not only was it a band of his disciples, but Jesus turned to his own personal 12 and verse 67, look what he said to them, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of those boys. He said, will ye also go away? 
What was it that made them walk away? Scriptures are going to flow like a river now. Stay with me or read the screen. Genesis 9, verse number 4. I want you to see this. What made these disciples walk away? What was Jesus talking about? Eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They couldn't grasp what he was saying. And I will tell you that many can't grasp it today. In Genesis 9, verse 4, the Bible says, But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Now listen carefully. Jesus was not talking about in this reference of literally eating his literal flesh and drinking his literal blood. That's not what he was talking about. There are some denominations in this world today that believe that. And they call it the doctrine of transubstination. And they primarily believe it when you have communion. They think that when you take communion and you put the bread in your mouth, that upon the entrance of that bread in your mouth, they believe that it literally turns into the body of Christ. And when you take the cup, they believe that it literally turns into the blood of Jesus. That's heresy. That's not true. Many denominations believe that the flesh and the blood that the Lord Jesus was talking about simply means the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood on the cross. Jesus was talking about, he was in reference to spiritual nourishment. That's what you have to understand. In fact, Jesus was making that crystal clear earlier in John chapter 6 and verse number 35. Look at that scripture, John 6, 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus was already laying the groundwork for the spiritual significance of what he was about to say in verse 53 through 63. But listen, people couldn't grasp that. They weren't listening with their spiritual heart. Before the law of Moses, God said the people could not eat any kind of meat with blood in it. So this is where it gets tangled up for the Jews. Now, I'm going to give you many scriptures. You might just want to write them down and read the screen. I doubt very seriously you can turn as fast as I will read. But in Leviticus chapter 3, verse number 17, I'm going to teach you this morning why these words of Jesus would not adhere to, why they were rejected, why these people walked away from him. This is very important. Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They turned to one another and said, this is a hard saying. I'm not listening to that. It's against everything I've been taught. What is this lunatic talking about? Eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They all turned and walked away. Jesus turned to his 12 and said, hey, are you guys going with them? What provoked that to happen? In Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17, let me show you some scriptures that existed in the law and even before the law. Leviticus 3.17, it shall be a perpetual statue for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. Now Leviticus 7, verse 26 and 27. Moreover, ye shall eat no manner of blood, whether it be a fowl or beast in any of your dwellings. Whatsoever soul it be that eateth any manner of blood, even that soul shall be caught off from his people. Now, this may help you to understand a little bit today why the Orthodox Jews still are careful about kosher foods. They go all the way back to these Levitical uh, commandments. In Leviticus chapter 17 and verse number 11, 
The Bible says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Now, all of these verses, of course, are during and before the law. Go with me now to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15 and verse number 28, because here in the New Testament, there was a discussion and a dispute in the church about what kind of Old Testament ceremonies should be carried over for the Gentiles. You see, the Jewish people had been brought up to understand that they could not have any types of these foods with blood. They couldn't have any consumption of blood. And they were taught that all the way back from the Mosaic law, all the way down through the last prophet Malachi. Now they're getting into the church age, and now these believers are saying, how, if we're going to impose these certain commandments on these new Gentile believers, which of them should we enforce upon them? And now it's a big controversy. It's a big dispute going on. But in Acts chapter 15, verse 28, 29, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you, these new Gentile believers, no greater burden than these necessary things. Okay, what are the necessary things? In verse 29, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. God said to abstain from these things. He said not to eat any meat that was strangled. He was saying that when you strangle something, you, you're not properly bleeding it. So do not eat meat that has not been properly killed. He was saying this, only eat meat that's been properly bled. And we have to remember that all throughout the life of the Jew, they were taught to drink no blood. And so now Jesus is presenting a very controversial subject when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They have been taught all of their life not to do that because the consequence of doing it if they did, they would be cut off from the people. So when Jesus stands up on this day and he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, these people had a very difficult time, called it a hard saying, and they walked away from him because they were not listening to him with their spiritual heart. They weren't listening with their spiritual mind, their spiritual ears. Go back with me at verse 63, John 6, 63. And here is the answer. Hear how Jesus clarifies it. In John chapter 6, verse number 63, Jesus now explains what he's talking about. He said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, what I'm telling you about drinking my blood and eating my flesh, he said, this is of spiritual significance. He was not talking about these people eating his fingers and his toes and drinking his blood. He said, the words that I'm speaking unto you are spiritual. He says, I'm talking to you about something that deals with your spiritual life. Listen carefully. The blood of Jesus deals with the penalty of sin. The steadfastness, the aspect of the steadfastness deals with the power of sin and our ability to live victorious lives. And here's the thing. When we recognize his blood is steadfast and is sure 
And it's sufficient for every day. It's what gives us the second wind to navigate through life. Friend, today, this is a powerful truth, I think, to latch on. Remember this. Jesus said that the life was in the blood. In John chapter 15 and verse number 4, the Bible says this, and I'm going to read John 15, verse 4 through 5. Jesus said this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Jesus said that life was in the blood. So what Jesus was saying here, spiritually speaking, is that my life must be in you. Now, let me explain something very quickly here. I'm not going to have time to read these scriptures because I want to make a final point that we've not discussed in all of these other four sermons in the past. I'm just going to give you the scripture reference. I must move fast. The things that you need to understand about the blood of Jesus, first of all, is this. The blood of Jesus is our only hope of being saved. You think about that. The blood of Jesus is our only hope of being saved. It matters not upon anything else. Nothing else can save an individual but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Now, the first for that is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. I don't have time to read it, but you can make reference to it this morning. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. The world is trying to do everything they possibly can today to, to have a substitute for heaven. How do I get there? By your works, by, by your good deeds. But I'm telling you this, you cannot, listen, if there's one spiritual truth that you remember today about going to heaven is this, we are justified. We are never worked You can never work yourself into the pearly gates. If you go to heaven, I go to heaven. We're all going to go by the blood. There is no other way than the blood of Jesus to go to heaven. So you have to remember that. Now, secondly, let me remind you of this. Now, not only does the blood of Jesus, is, if it's the only way possible, you have to understand that there is no other way you can possibly go. Now, the blood of Jesus does not only provide redemption for us, but it provides the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. Again, I don't have time to read these verses this morning. I want to make a clear point for you here at the conclusion. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it teaches us not only do we have redemption from sin, but we also have the forgiveness of sin. Number three, the wonder-working power of the blood gives us peace in troubled times. You have to understand that. That verse is Colossians 1.20. Now, let me say this about giving peace today. Everywhere we turn, we find that there is the absence of peace. There's the absence of peace in government. There is the absence of peace in the municipal principalities of the world. There's an absence of peace today in the economics. There's an absence of peace today uh, in the Middle East. And let me say this. There's a lot of terrible things going on in the Middle East today, especially with Iran and ISIS. And I'm hearing things. People ask me questions all the time. Pastor, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is, is the next move for ISIS? And do you think Iran is going to drop the nuclear bomb and all of these things? And let me tell you this. Let me rest it. Let me give you some peace this morning. When Jesus returns after the, the tribulation is over with, and when he comes down, the Bible says, and he sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives, 
Zechariah 14.4, here's the thing that will give you peace from this day until you meet Jesus face to face. When the Lord Jesus comes back in the millennium, he is not going to be ruling from the throne of Muhammad. He's not going to be ruling from the throne of Allah. He is going to be ruling and reigning for the thousand years from the throne of David. Can somebody say amen? amen. Glory to God. So listen, let that be the peace that you need today. Regardless of what goes on in the world, he's the prince of peace. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Now let me move on real quickly here. Not only is the blood sufficient to give us peace, but it's also, listen carefully, it's to give us the assurance of his presence. And, and as you think about his, his, his presence, I want you to write down Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5. If you ever get to the place where you feel that you're totally alone, you're wondering where God is. Have you ever been there? You read that scripture, Hebrews 13, 5. The promise of the word, he says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, here's the thing that I want to close with today. The wonder-working power of the blood is the deliverance that we all need as believers from oppressing torments of the devil and his demons. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever feel you've come to a place in your spiritual life where you're overwhelmed? All of us have fears, but do you ever feel like you've come to a place in your life where you're overwhelmed with fear? where you're overwhelmed with doubt, where you're overwhelmed with worry, where you're overwhelmed with guilt, where you're overwhelmed with hopelessness. First, let me say this, that none of those things are of God. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. We know that. What does he say about being anxious, worrying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication? Let your requests be made known unto God. But I believe that many of God's people spend a majority of their spiritual life paralyzed every single day from this oppression of Satan. We have to know who's behind that oppression. The devil knows how to play with our mind. He knows how to creep into our joy. He knows how to rob us of our motivation. All he needs is a fraction of an entrance to our heart and mind and he'll turn our life upside down. What the devil does, he comes to us with these spiritual torments of guilt, emotions, fear and worry and doubt. He accuses us and terrifies us with those feelings and those emotions. And by the way, you know, that's the ministry of the devil. The devil has a ministry. That's his job. That's what he does. Oppressing the believer is the number one goal. He cannot steal your salvation. He can steal you. He can rob you of the assurance of it. He can rob you of the joy of it. I mean, I wonder how many people are going through life today that really and truly got saved, born again at an early age or later on in life. I mean, you knelt at the cross. You felt the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. The Holy Spirit gave you overwhelming conviction you realized you were a sinner lost and undone without God. The Holy Spirit ministered to you and said, you need a Savior. Somebody took the Word of God, showed you how to be saved. You knew that Jesus was the only way to go to heaven. You read the Scriptures, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Someone showed you Romans 5.8, but God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you understood the importance of Romans 10.13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You heard that. You received it. You believed it. You confessed your sins. You repented of your sin. Calvary's flow washed you and made you clean. You went home praising the Lord. You followed the Lord in believer's baptism. You got busy for God. But then somewhere along the line, the devil comes around and he starts playing with your mind. He starts trying to tell you, hey, you're not saved. But what what did you do last week? What did you do last night? You're not saved. And he begins to play with your mind and he begins to play with your heart. Let me tell you something. That's what he does. That's his specialty. I'm telling you this. If you have knelt at the cross and if you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and he has washed you in Calvary's flow, I'm telling you this. Jesus said, no man can pluck you out of my hand. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Bible says we are kept Listen, not temporarily. We are kept and sealed by the power of the Holy Ghost until the day of redemption. When the devil comes and plays with your mind, that's what he does. He tries to make you think you're not saved. Or then he comes and he plays with your joy of serving the Lord and he steals that. Listen, he can steal your joy. David didn't pray, God, save my soul again. Save me, oh God. You know what he said? He said, restore, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. So the devil has a way to get in our mind and to get in our hearts. He knows how to oppress us. And let me tell you this, not only will the devil, and not only does he come to us repetitiously on a daily basis and say, you're not saved. Look what you did. You're not saved. Look what you thought. And he constantly brings those accusations to us routinely, daily. But did you know that he also does that to God? He also accuses us not only personally, but he accuses us before God. And he does it every day, every single day and night. In fact, I want you to see this scripture. Turn here with me. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, I'm moving as fast as I can. In Revelation 12, verse 10, notice what the word says. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser, the devil of our brethren is cast down. Notice this, which accused them before God day and night. Look at that. The devil never stops. Now, let me ask you this. If you're being tormented by the devil and his accusations, and he keeps throwing things up to you that's been put in God's sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west, let me show you the antidote. Let me show you what to do. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ not only defeated Satan on the cross, but I'm telling you the blood of Jesus Christ will defeat the devil in your life right now. I don't care what you're going through. If you're being tormented by something in your life right now, listen, you're not only the benefit that you got on the cross when Jesus died was not only sufficient enough to save your soul. It did not only lick the devil on the cross, but thank God it licks him today as well. 
Now I want you to see this in Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Notice those two things particularly. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. The way to defeat the devil is this. The power of the blood, it saves us. Thank God for it. It was sacred in heaven. It's sacred on the cross. It's steadfast and sacred in this life. Let me tell you this. If you're being tormented by the devil, there's one thing, only one thing that can defeat him in your life, and that is the blood of Jesus. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.